U.S. men's national team has kicked off training camp to start the new year, and MLS is in full off-season mode with trades, signings, and yes, the upcoming MLS draft. Hello, everybody. This is the SBI Show. I'm Ivan Scalarsep, and January is here. We're in, we're in a new year, and things are in full swing on the American soccer front. There's so much going on, so many things to talk about. Obviously, the 2019 MLS draft is, is coming up on Friday. Uh, that's obviously a big storyline for for me personally because I covered the draft uh, pretty uh, pretty extensively and have done so for a while and, and we'll touch on that in the, in the top prospects to watch and what to look for in the upcoming draft but before we get into that we have to start off with the U.S. national team. They've gotten together at Chula Vista, California for the first training camp of the Greg Berhalter era and Berhalter's called in an MLS team, uh, a collection of MLS players. Obviously it's the January camp. You can't have your international players, your European-based players but he's called in some MLS standout some new faces, some younger players, some U23 prospects, and it's his opportunity to start setting the tone and setting, uh, really setting a new atmosphere and a new uh, mentality for the national team program. Uh, a program that that really uh, hit a hit a bit of a wall in recent years, and and a program that that seemed to lose its its way, seemed to lose its identity in recent years. And it's a team that was always known for for the camaraderie, uh, for the, for the togetherness of the group, and and it showed on the field and that's how it used to look anyway uh, and I think it really went away from that and uh, it became a more divided group uh, became a group that, that clearly wasn't on the same page and then you saw some uh, some clicks you saw some 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 kind of different different opinions different uh, just real different perspective on things and and divisions that ultimately uh, didn't help the team and ultimately hurt the team uh, uh, to say those divisions are why the US didn't make the World Cup in 2018 I mean you you, you know that you could say that's a factor uh, but the good news is there's a new coach in charge Greg Berhalter's in and he's a former national team player and he understands how important it is to, to just have the right mentality to have the right uh, atmosphere in the locker room and and it's clear that this right from the first camp uh, he he is determined to kind of set that tone and make sure the right tone is there for the team and he's called in even though he's called in a young group he's also called in some veterans led by Michael Bradley who's in the camp and uh, Bradley's gonna obviously do his part to try to help help set a good tone and and we'll see how how that develops I know I know there's some fans out there who aren't happy about Michael Bradley being with the team right because of his age and because maybe some feel that they, you know he's just he's just not there anymore he's just not not that at that level anymore and with the type of talented young prospects coming up there shouldn't really be a place for him anymore and I've said it before I'll say it again he is still a player who gives you something in terms of leadership he's still a player that on his day can still play at a good level I know 2018 wasn't a banner year for him by any means uh he had his struggles he uh, his team obviously had its struggles he had to play out of position quite a bit he had to play at center back a position that clearly is not his position but you know he did what he had to do to try to help the team and and obviously TFC had a rough year and, and Bradley had a rough year but to say that he still can't play at a good level and to say he still can't help you on the international stage I think is a bit of a reach I think he can still help you I think he still has has some tread left on those tires and you know do I think he's going to be around for the 2022 World Cup I think that's a stretch I know he came forward and, and talked about that uh, I'm sure he was asked about that in camp uh, you know where, where he sees his future being and listen any high level player is going to have confidence in themselves to, to believe that they can still be around uh, in three four years time and and 
and shoot for that next World Cup. And you know, you can't re- really be upset at the fact that he feels that way. Uh, he's a confident guy, and, and, and elite level players are going to believe in themselves. And I don't know if I'd want a player on my my national team who already is kind of, you know, the clock's ticking already, and they already know. Okay, I'm leaving in a year. I'm leaving in two years. Uh, you know, if you're a high level player, if you're an elite player, you aren't. You don't look at things that way. You look at at, at things as I'm still playing at this level, and I'm going to keep playing at this level. And 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 they don't see the end in sight. Generally speaking, I mean, obviously there's exceptions to the rule, but generally the top end, top top level players, they don't look at the end. They look at the present. And they look at at believing that they can still play at a good level. And Bradley obviously still believes that he can play at a good level. And so does Greg Berhalter, who's who obviously called him in, wants him to be a veteran in this group. And, you know, I know there's all types of whisper campaigns and, and suggestions that maybe that Michael Bradley wasn't a good captain, the captain isn't a good leader. I don't know if I buy that. And everyone who I've ever talked to, uh, whether it's veterans, whether it's younger players, the general sense you get is that he is a good captain, he's a good leader, uh, and he definitely does well to work with well with young players, and that that's obviously going to be a big priority uh, as he takes on a leadership role in this group. The good news for U.S. fans is the national team, we now have an idea when we'll see the full national team and that's going to be in March uh, and there are reportedly some friendlies being lined up uh, against Ecuador and Chile a couple of South American opponents uh, my man Doug McIntyre has reported that, that you know he's hearing that those are going to be the opponents in March in a pair of friendlies in the United States and, and that, I think that's great news to hear that the full senior team is going to be coming to the US and, and I know there were those forgettable friendlies in Europe in November against England and Italy uh, I think it was a good thing that those friendlies were nowhere near American soil because uh, you know as much as US fans had to endure watching those games on television uh, I think it's good that now the full squad will be together and it'll be playing at home and I think it's that is really when you're going to see the U.S. fan base start to get excited because I gotta say I don't feel like there is that that buzz around this U.S. camp this current camp this January camp and and I think it's because it's an all MLS camp and and there aren't those uh, exciting players whether it's the Christian Pulisic the you know the superstar player or the young high-end prospects like the Tyler Adams, uh, Josh Sargent, Tim Weah. So I think we're going to see in, Ju- in, in, May, in March, we're going to see Greg Berhalter call in his full team. And that's when it's going to be interesting to see what that team looks like, what the makeup's going to be. Because I don't think Greg Berhalter is going to be calling in a team of teenagers, a team of, 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 of players, all with you know a handful of caps. I think he's going to have to start now thinking about what is the best U.S. team now? What is the best U.S. team looking ahead to the Gold Cup in the summer, and it's not about 2022, folks. It's not about trying to pick a team now and have that team be together for for the next uh, three years. No, now it's about putting the best national team together that you have, that you can have now for this year, and I think that's what we're going to see in March, and that's why I think we're going to see Josie Altidore come back in the fold. Uh, I think maybe Berhalter is going to have to take a look at someone like an Omar Gonzalez, who obviously he has a longstanding relationship with. He, He was a former teammate of Omar Gonzalez, he was a you know a coach, basically player coach uh, with the Galaxy, and so he he was a big part uh, of of the early part of Omar Gonzalez's career. So I, I'd be interested to see if they've if Gonzalez is someone that, that Berhalter plans to call in. So I'm looking forward to seeing that that squad in March, see what kind of team Berhalter sees as being his full-strength team. First things first, though, the U.S. camp in January. It's an all-MLS team. Uh, there are obviously some young faces in this group, and, and I, I'm excited to see how some of them do. Uh, among those players, I think uh, Austin Trusty, a player for the Philadelphia Union, who I thought really had a, uh, an outstanding season for, for considering 
what the expectations were for him uh, coming into the season. I, I don't know. I don't know many people outside of Philadelphia who would have pegged him to have the type of season that he had. And, and, and we're talking about a very skilled central defender. We're talking about a player who showed in MLS play that he could play at a good level and his passing is very good. So he's a good prospect to watch. Uh, Jeremy Ibobasi, uh, the striker for the Portland Timbers, who, you know, took on a starting role, took over a starting role during the Timbers run to the MLS Cup final. He's an exciting prospect to watch. And obviously he, much like Trusty, is part of that U.S. under-23 player pool, part of that potential U.S. Olympic team. And I'm not going to say the U.S. is going to get in the Olympics because, as we know, it's been pretty tough for the U.S. to get in the Olympics in the last few cycles. So you can't take anything for granted. But this is an exciting U.S. under-23 group we have coming up. And and I want to see how some of those younger players do in this senior camp. Before we get to MLS, we have to get into the Americans Abroad Front and there's a little bit of an overlap, a little bit of a tie-in between the Americans Abroad Front and MLS this time around. Uh, First things first, Tim Weah has joined Celtic on loan. Uh, We all kind of knew that he was going to be heading somewhere this winter on loan uh, as he searches for playing time to help his development. He needed to go somewhere because Paris Saint-Germain just wasn't a place he was going to get regular playing time and now he's headed to Celtic, a club uh, the Scottish champions who all of a sudden are, uh, they have a very American feel to their team. Uh, my, my sources tell me that, that Andrew Gutman, the Indiana University defender, has also signed with Celtic, has completed a deal, uh, and that's uh, you know that's great news if you're if you're a fan of Andrew Gutman. But it's not so great news if you're the Chicago Fire, because listen, Andrew Gutman was one of the best players in the country in college soccer, if not the best. I know he won the Herman Award that goes to the best player, uh, but he actually did it on the field. He actually was a top level prospect. Uh, and it just did not work out with the fire. And now he's headed to Celtic, and you have, and now the Chicago Fire are sitting without a left back after the the, the sudden retirement of Brendan Vincent, and now after Andrew Gutman leaves. And all of a sudden, a position that should have been one of strength is one where there's a big void. And the question now is, what did the fire do or what didn't they do to make that Andrew Gutman deal happen? And there's plenty of reports out there, including by from my man Paul Tenorio, uh, that have put it on the fire for not really wanting Gutman and not really rating Gutman. And uh, I personally spoke to the Chicago Fire uh, general manager, uh, Nelson Rodriguez, and he, he told me that, that that's not true. And he told me that, that they wanted to sign Gutman, that they made him a good offer. Uh, they, you know, they wanted him on the team. Uh, and obviously that's easy to say now that he's gone and now that you've missed out on him. Uh, but, you know, based on what had been making the rounds, it really sounds like the fire dropped the ball on this one. And uh, we're talking about a team that, that has had its struggles integrating it's homegrown players into the group, into the team. When you think about the type of talent that's come through that academy, that have come, that has come through the fire, uh, you wonder what is going on. Why aren't they doing a better job of of integrating players from that setup and having them succeed? Obviously, Georgi Mihalovic is a player who uh, the Fire can look at as a bit of a success story now that he's been called up to his first U.S. national team camp. Uh, but, you know, when you look at someone like Cam Lindley, who, who decided he didn't want to play for the Fire, uh, and you look at some of the homegrown signings that they've made that haven't quite had the impact yet, uh, you start to wonder what's going on with the Fire. And losing Goodman 
that's a big blow. And I know everyone's going to want to point fingers and, and blame every. No one's going to want to take the blame on this. Clearly, the fire don't. Clearly, Nelson Rodriguez is not trying to take the blame on this. He, as far as he's concerned, they did the fire did uh, what they needed to do to try to make a deal happen and didn't work out. Um, my understanding is Goodman wanted to play for the fire, but he didn't necessarily feel like he was wanted and that pushed him that led him to pursue opportunities in Europe and he's now secured a deal with Celtic uh, that's going to pay him more than than he would have been able to make from the fire and it's my understanding he's he's getting paid more than anyone in the, in the MLS draft including the generation Adidas players and from that standpoint you can see why he's made the move but what is disappointing to hear is the idea that the fire could have done something to prevent this and could have done something to secure the services of Andrew Gutman. And uh, that's unfortunate for a team that definitely needs a left back. Speaking of Celtic, they're not done. They're not done signing Americans, folks, because uh, they're closing in on signing Manny Perez, the U.S. under-20 defender who's been heavily linked with Celtic since the before the new year. Uh, there were reports, uh, I remember, I think back in December, claiming that, that, he had a, that he had a done deal. There was a done deal for him to go to Celtic. My understanding is that, no, there was never a done deal. There was an offer made, uh, and Manny Perez was weighing his options, and, and I, I think at one point... He did. He did consider looking at MLS, and MLS did make an offer. And MLS actually pulled its offer uh, after it felt that you know it wasn't it wasn't going to work out. And obviously, MLS was on was on its own timetable uh, with regard to the MLS draft, and they really had to get their generation Adidas class sorted out. And Manu Perez was not part of it. And it's an unfortunate situation with Manny Perez because you're talking about a player who a year earlier was also offered a Generation Adidas contract, would have likely been the number one pick in the 2018 MLS draft, but he chose to skip He chose to skip the 2018 MLS draft. And now here we are a year later, uh, and now he's turned pro. He's going to sign most likely with Celtic. And my understanding is uh, if and when he does sign with Celtic, he'll immediately be uh, sent out on loan uh, to a USL team in North Carolina uh, so he can have his opportunity to uh, earn some regular playing time and to develop, to keep developing. Uh, he's obviously going to try to uh, to be a part of that U.S. Under-20 World Cup team. Uh, there's, there's no guarantees there for him, but you know he's obviously going to uh, try to get some regular playing time, and it looks like it'll be in USL. Uh, which, let's face it, folks, I don't know if that's necessarily a good luck for a good look for MLS uh, to have a, a such a highly rated prospect uh, end up going another route and now he's going to be playing in, in USL instead of MLS. It's an unfortunate situation. Uh, I think he would have absolutely been a top five player in the MLS draft if he had, he had chosen to sign this year. I think he actually could have been the number one pick in the 2018 draft if he had come out, but he made his decision and now here we are and Manny Perez is, is more than likely headed to Celtic, which is all of a sudden kind of become the new flavor of the month for American fans looking for a team to root for because you talk about Tim Weah, Andrew Gutman, and Manny Perez on the books. That's a team that, uh, that you know, it, it's kind of shades of the old Fulham team with a, that had three or four Americans on it. So we'll see how those guys do. Obviously, Tim Way is the biggest name of that bunch, and, and you'd like to think that, that you know, Brendan Rodgers has, has a role, a bigger role in mind for him. So we'll see how those guys do. Now we turn our attentions to MLS, and there's so many, so many items to talk about, so many uh, topics to discuss. We'll start off with the Save the Crew 
campaign and the successful Save the Crew campaign, and the Columbus Crew unveiled their new ownership uh, and their new leadership on uh, on Wednesday, and what was a pretty impressive uh, presentation and moment for that that organization and for those fans uh, to finally get to the finish line of what was a dramatic uh, rescue. And you have to give a lot of credit to those fans uh, in Columbus for doing everything in their power to try to keep a team in Columbus. Uh, and as much as Anthony, you know, Anthony Precourt had no, didn't really care if uh, Columbus had a team or not. He he was planning to, to head uh, to head to Austin and have a team in Austin. But the folks in Columbus would not let their team die, and they now have a new ownership group that's already making power moves with the hirings of Caleb Porter and Tim Besby. Right there, that's telling you that they're serious, that their ownership group is serious about succeeding. Uh, we've already seen the renderings for a downtown stadium in Columbus. And all of a sudden, when you think about where we were a year ago with Columbus and the talk about a market that was dying, a market that wasn't being supported, a stadium that it that it outlived its usefulness. Now it's night and day. Now it's talk about Columbus being that next market to blow up in MLS, uh, that next market to, to follow in the footsteps of a market like Sporting Kansas City. Uh, let's think about Kansas City. At one point in the early days, was not a well-supported team, uh, was playing in front of empty stadiums and, and not really having success. And then a new ownership group stepped in there, they built a new stadium, they reconnected with the city, and now Sporting Kansas City is one of the real success stories in MLS. And you can definitely see the Columbus crew having that kind of success. Now that they have an ownership group that's serious about building a successful team and a team that has a connection with its fan base and with the city. And now you feel that. Now you have a sense that the people running that team care about the team. They care about the city. They care about the, the, the fans, those fans that saved the team. And it's great to see. It's great to see it all come together. And now you have a, a club, a team, a market that was kind of on the lower end of, of, of MLS in terms of success, in terms of uh, vitality, in terms of health. And all of a sudden now you're talking, you're looking at a team and an organization and a market that is now poised to blow up and, and just be one of the success stories of the league. And that's great to see, uh, obviously, for anyone who follows MLS. It's not January without wheeling and dealing on the MLS front. And, and obviously, we're going to get into the MLS draft. Before we get to the draft, though, we have to talk about some of the moves already going down. Oswaldo Alonso heading to Minnesota United. Big pickup for the Loons, uh, for a team that's really trying to reconstruct their squad, uh, trying to bolster their defense. And to add a player like Alonso is huge because as much as he's an, he's an older player now and as much as he has a lot of miles on those, on those tires, he can still a productive and a high-level player, and he's still someone who can absolutely make Minnesota United better. And if you're Minnesota United, if you're Adrian Heath, you've got to be thrilled at being able to add a player like him who not only helps you on the field, but helps you off the field in terms of a leadership role, in terms of just setting a tone in the locker room. On a team that, let's face it, I feel like needs that. 
they need that leadership. They need that presence in the locker room. I don't, I don't know if that was there. And I think hearing, I've heard in the past that there has been a bit of a void in that front. And I think Alonzo's just the type of guy to help set a tone for that team to really turn things around and 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 start uh, building something that will uh, be befitting of the t- the the home that they've built there. Because look, their stadium is beautiful. Minnesota Minnesota United's new stadium, uh, from by all accounts, from what we've seen from the pictures in the video. It is a state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line stadium. And you don't want to have a top-of-the-line building but have a crap team in it, right? So Minnesota United looks like they're really getting serious about building a winner and build, improving on what had been a few a rough few first couple of years. So now we'll see what happens. We'll see uh, what Alonzo can do. We'll see what other moves Minnesota United makes. But right now, you should be feeling pretty good if you're a Minnesota United fan. And now it's time to talk about the 2019 MLS Draft, otherwise known as the FC Cincinnati Welcome Party. And the expansion team is wasting no time putting their stamp on things. They've already made, been wheeling and dealing, and now they hold three of the top 16 picks and six of the top 30 picks in this draft after a couple of big blockbuster deals, one with LAFC, and then another with the Philadelphia Union that clearly turned some heads. Uh, they made a deal with the Union. They traded 150000 in allocation to the Union in exchange for all of the the union's draft picks and uh, the union pretty much said you know what we've seen what's in this draft we, we're not interested we don't want any of these players give us the money we'll take the money uh, and I know already there, there's, there's already people coming out in, def, in, in agreement with what the union have done and I've also heard people look at what Cincinnati have done and think you know what they that it was a good move for them and I really do think this is a move that 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 fits both sides it fits well for both teams and if you think about the union right i don't know if there's a team that has had two better opportunities to build or rebuild through the the draft than the union did when they first came into the league and just a few years ago i believe it was three years ago uh when they had the multiple first round picks uh they had three first round picks then uh they drafted josh yarrow keegan rosenberry and fabian erbers and now as we head into 2019 season none of those three are are looking like world beaters uh and keegan rosenberry the best of the bunch and he's on his way to colorado then you go back to obviously the inaugural draft for the Union uh, when they drafted Danny Mwanga, Jack McInerney, and Amobia Kugo. Again, none of those three players are still with the Union. And when you look back on what those players accomplished as a group, you still kind of come away feeling disappointed with what those that particular draft class was able to do. Especially once uh, when when the draft happened back then, there was such a sense of optimism about what that group would be able to do uh would that be the group that helps the union build uh, build the union into a winner and it didn't work out that way so if you're the union and you look at that history and you look at that track record and you say to yourself you know what it hasn't really been worth it for us it hasn't really been worth it for us when we've had the picks so let's get out of the let's get out of this draft and i get it i totally get it if you're ernst tanner the new the new boss there uh, you know, he has his connections in Europe. Uh, having allocation money, is, you would imagine, is going to serve them better because they can go sign international players. Uh, having said that, the Union are also a team that drafted Jack Elliott two years ago in, I believe, the 77th overall pick. He ended up becoming a starter. He ended up becoming one of the better rookies in MLS two years ago. And he's still on the team for the Union. 
We're talking about a union team that also has Ray Gaddis, the team's career leader in minutes played. And he was, the, I believe, the 35th overall pick uh, by the union, you know, a second-round pick. Uh, and now he's a player who's really fashioned himself a nice career. So, And they just signed him to a new deal on the same day they made this trade. So I thought it was... I thought it was kind of funny. I thought I thought the the, the 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 juxtaposition of the two moments. One, Ray Gattis signing for a new deal, the career minutes leader, also a player they got in the draft, not with a high pick, but with a later round pick. They signed him to a new deal on the same day. They say screw the draft, and I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting. Um, I don't blame them. For doing it And I also don't blame FC Cincinnati uh, FC Cincinnati clearly is looking to stockpile uh, They want to try to bring in as many of these draft prospects as possible See how many of them can make the team They made another deal with LAFC to get a first round pick uh, And this this strategy obviously comes with some risk, right? Because, you know, you can you can look at it and say, well, it's similar to what you see in the NFL, you know, sometimes where teams stockpile picks and really try to revamp a squad or build a squad. What's different is obviously the, the uh, track record of success, the percentage of successful players that come out of the MLS draft is significantly lower than the percentage of players that, come, that, that are successful coming out of the NFL draft. So it, it's not necessarily going to be as effective to stockpile picks in, in MLS than it would be in NFL. That's first things first. Uh, secondly, as a front office, you just have to have the chops to be able to evaluate talent and be able to identify the players that are going to be the difference makers. And I'll tell you what, folks, there still is that kind of talent. There still are those kind of players that can develop into MLS regulars, right? Uh, the idea that, and the new joke I've seen now is to kind of bag on the draft as being kind of a, a USL showcase. These are all USL players. Uh, there's some truth in that, right? There's some truth in the idea that because of the improvement of MLS, because of the, the growth in the amount of money that is spent with the target allocation money, the general allocation money, the fact that the fact is teams have more money to spend. They can go get more top-level players. They can get more... Uh, players who they wouldn't have been able to afford or, or sign a few years back. And because of that, it is much tougher for the players that are coming out of the draft to be able to make an impact, to be able to make it, to make a team. Now, more often than not, you're seeing a lot of players go into the USL route, go into USL, and then, you know, if they're good enough, they develop and they make the jump back in MLS. And if not, they move on. Uh, so there's something to be said for that, right? There's something to be said for the draft being almost more about USL than, in the, than about MLS. I get that. But having said that, I still think there is a position here where a team that knows what it's doing can succeed. A team that knows how to scout, a team that knows how to identify talent can still find gems in the draft. And we saw it two years ago. Atlanta, Julian Gressel, eighth overall pick. Other teams passed on him. Other teams decided, you know what? He's an international player. We don't want to waste an international roster spot. Atlanta United said, you know what? This guy's good enough. We're going to take him. And guess what? He helped him win a title. And he was a big part of that. He was a starter. He started over a player in Tito Vialba who cost millions of dollars. So it shows you there's still talent there. And that's not to say, look, does it mean there's definitely a Julian Gressel in the 2019 draft? Not necessarily. But there is talent in this draft. There are players in this draft who absolutely can and will help their teams a few years down the road. Are there first... That's, I'll readily admit, 
there aren't a bunch of first year day one starting type players in the draft. There aren't. There just aren't. And if you ask me how many there are, I'd argue there, you could argue there's only one for me for my money. I would argue that Callum Montgomery, the Charlotte center back, for me is the most pro-ready player in this draft, for me is the safest bet to be a successful pro in this draft, and is really the one player that I look at and I say, you know what, you can throw him on the field in year one. He's not going to look out of place. He can actually give you minutes. He can actually be a productive starter in year one. I, Callum Montgomery, I have, I've had the chance to talk to him, had a chance to watch him. He is a player. He is very, he's very polished as a player. He's tough. Uh, he has that chip on his shoulder as a late bloomer, as someone who never made a provincial team in Canada, never got a whiff from the Vancouver Whitecaps and their academy. He plays with an edge, and he's he's mature. And I tell you what, if you ask me who's the safest bet in this draft, it's Callum Montgomery. Now, FC Cincinnati has the top pick, and everyone wants to know, who are they going to take? Who's the top pick in this draft? And it's really going to come down to two players, from my understanding, uh, of what FC Cincinnati is thinking. It's going to come down to Frankie Amaya, the U.S. under-20 midfielder, or Saeed Haji, the VCU midfielder. And basically, the difference between the two is uh, Amaya, obviously, is a member of the U.S. under-20 team. He's someone who is going to contend for a place on the U.S. under-20 World Cup team. He is a box-to-box midfielder with, with plenty of skill on the ball. Uh, he's a tenacious player, as small as he is, and as much as he's got a baby face, he's not afraid to get stuck in. He's not afraid to do the dirty work. He is your well-balanced two-way player. Saeed Haji, on the other hand, uh, by all accounts, is a player who is projecting more as a wide player, even though he's not a traditional winger. He's not a speedy guy who's going to get up and down the field. What he does do is keep the ball. He can keep the ball under pressure. You can't take it off of him. He has that vision, that touch to, to break the lines with you know with passes through the lines. Uh, he's he's the guy who can unlock a defense with a pass. Uh, he's and and he's super poised. But where do you play him? Because he has the qualities that would say, you know what, he should play centrally. He should be a, an attacking midfielder. Maybe he's, he has the, the engine to play as a box-to-box. But more, off, more than likely, he's going to have to play on the wing. And the question with him is, can he get up and down? Can he go at people? Can he? Because do, does he have that acceleration to be an effective player going at defenders? And that's 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 the question that wasn't answered at the combine. Uh, you know, because Said Haji for me did well at the combine, but he did well staying in his comfort zone of keeping the ball, knocking it around, looking for the looking for that kind of line breaking pass. He did that, and he looked good at it, but. He didn't take players on. He didn't run by anybody. He didn't show the wheels that you'd like to see from a winger. So from that standpoint, I think that's why if you're Cincinnati and you look at, at, at both of these players, I mean, by most accounts, I think a lot of people agree these are the top two prospects in this draft. If you look at those two and you look at where they can fit into a team, Frankie Amaya is a guy who can fit into a team uh, more easily. So I think he's going to be the top pick. I think Saeed Haji is gonna, not going to last all on the board too long. He could go in number two to San Jose. Um, some of the other players in this draft that, that you're going to want to keep an eye out, out for, obviously, as I said, Callum Montgomery. Um, if we go by positions, 
I'll just break it down for you real quick. Goalkeeper, Dane Sinclair, the Maryland goalkeeper, the Canadian. Uh, serious upside. Some teams feel he might have the most upside of any player in this draft. Someone who could develop into a difference maker. Uh, you know, you're going to hear the Canadian Zach Steffen a few times when it comes to him. And, and you, you wonder where he's going to wind up. He's got to go somewhere where he's not going to necessarily have to be rushed in. He's someone you want to be able to take your time with developing, let him go to USL, cut his teeth there, and eventually become a, a first-team player. And I, I think he has the talent to do that. Some of the other go- some of the other goalkeepers to look out for: uh, Luis Barraza, uh, Ben Lunt from Akron, uh, Jimmy Haig from Michigan State. Uh, those are some of the other ones. I don't know if any of them are going to be first-round picks, although. You often see cases where a team might need a third goalkeeper, so they reach for a a goalkeeper and take one earlier than you'd expect. And we've seen that before. We've seen runs on goalkeepers in the first round. I don't know if the the goalkeepers in this draft after St. Clair are necessarily first-round talents, but all it takes is one desperate team that wants to fill a goalkeeping void and doesn't like anything else on the board to go get a goalkeeper. And I think someone like Barraza uh, is a is a is a, a prime candidate to maybe be that that surprise first rounder. Defensively, center back and fullback. There, there, if if you're talking about the strength of this draft, it is in the defensive options. And while I wouldn't say necessarily that uh, that there are a ton of first year contributors in this group. There is talent here, and there's pl- there's there's talent that can be developed. There's players who can be developed. Uh, we'll go across the board. Right back, you've got quite a few uh, good prospects. You have Akeem Ward from Creighton. You have Logan Gadula from Wake Forest. You have Reese Buckmaster from Indiana, who's really his stock has really gone up uh, in the past week at the MLS Combine. Obviously, he played for Indiana, so he's a high level player as it is. But I think coming into the Combine. He wasn't someone who was being talked about as much as Gadula, as much as Akeem Ward, but he has put himself in that position, and now he's a player heading into the draft who I absolutely see being a first-round pick, and I don't know if many people would have seen him as a first-round pick before the Combine. Central defense, I mentioned Callum Montgomery earlier. For me, he's head and shoulders the best center back in this draft. There's some other interesting center backs in this draft, though. Uh, it doesn't end with him. Uh, there are some internationals, but there are some domestics. And uh, you want to talk about a player like Kamal Miller, uh, who uh, played for Syracuse. He's Canadian, but he counts as a domestic player. Uh, so, you know, any team that wants him, it doesn't have to be a Canadian team, but any team that wants him, you get him as a domestic player, and I think that definitely helps his value. Uh, Jacob Hauser Ramsey from UConn, a player who missed the combine with an injury, but who scouts had seen previously at the Las Vegas combine. I think he is going to absolutely be one of the first central defenders off the board uh, mid first round. Uh, he has the size, he has the athleticism. And he has a bit more soccer than some of the other center backs that you get you, you, when you go lower uh, on the depth chart for center back. I think he's absolutely has the first the, the potential to be a first round player. And Wouter Berstraten, a Dutch midfield, a Dutch center back from Pacific, he's an international, so that does hurt him. But he's the type of talent with his between this combination of size and technical ability. He's a player that I think teams that have international slots are going to take a long hard look at. So I think he's going to be a first rounder. Just because his, just when you look at his size and his skill set, uh, he's the type of player that you can see teams saying, you know what, we're going to take a chance. We're going to burn an international roster spot because we feel he can develop into a difference maker. And I think that's what teams feel is the case with uh, Verstraten, and I think he's got that talent. Uh, other center backs to look out for Alex Gamsia, North Carolina. He's Canadian, he counts as, the, as a domestic. 
Prosper Figby, the big Virginia center back. He's probably, if you, if, if you had weightlifting as a competition, if you had a strength test, he would be at the top of the strength test. He actually had one of the best uh, testing, the combined testing scores when you want to talk about speed, agility, and power. He was He's one of the best athletes in this draft. The problem with Prosper Figby is he counts as an international player, and that is going to hurt him uh, because I just don't think that teams are going to want to necessarily take a chance on him, in the at least in the first round. Uh, because of his international status. One player who doesn't have to worry about that is Roy Boateng, the UC Davis center back. Uh, he's someone with his size and his athleticism a lot of teams like, but he has a green card, and that's why he has an edge over someone like Prosper Figby, even though when you look at the resumes, Figby obviously coming from a better, pro, bigger program in, in Virginia, but he's an international, uh, and I think I think Roy Boateng is absolutely going to be a first-round player because of that, because he counts as a domestic and because of his skill set. So we'll see how he does. Those are just some of the center backs to look out for. Left back. The left back position has actually got some interesting options in it. John Nelson, the Generation Adidas player, he's young, but he showed at the Combine that he's a mature player for his age. Uh, he can defend well. He gets up and down. He gives you that work rate on the wing as a, as a true left back and I think he's someone if you're looking at who's going to be the first left back off the board I think it's going to be John Nelson especially as a generation Adidas player uh, there's some other interesting left back uh, options Chase Gasper from Maryland I think he showed well at the combine and obviously he won a national title with Maryland so he you know he has the pedigree and I think he's going to be one of the first left backs off the board there's some other in uh, some other options uh, from the the left back from Cal I think his name is pronounced uh, I want to say Jaquil, like Nate Jaquil, but I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but he's someone who impressed at the Combine, and his stock is rising. Uh, Giannis Loeb from Fordham, German midfielder slash left-back prospect. He's someone who I think Turn heads at the dra at the combine, uh, but again, the international status is going to hurt him. I think he could slip into the second round, but I think someone's going to take a flyer on him. The question is, will he stick around? Will he try to stick it out in MLS, or will he try to go to Europe? Since he can go to Europe, he can go to Germany. My understanding is he wants to play in the U uh, in the U.S. and he's got the talent. So uh, don't be surprised if, if someone reaches for him in the first round. But he's another interesting left back prospect. And now we have to talk about the midfield, and I don't know if any player improved their stock in this past week more than Dewan Jones, but they, he did just that. The Michigan State winger uh, absolutely crushed the testing, the, 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 agility and strength and speed testing uh, he, he tested out as basically the best athlete to come through the combine in six or seven years just with his combination of speed agility and power his ability to jump in the air and he he uh, it's not he's not just an athlete folks he actually can play he actually has some soccer to him and that's what he showed at the combine and I think that is really what has people excited about him as a prospect and why now he went from someone who I was projecting in the you know in the kind of late teens of the first round to now he could be a top five pick he's that type of player that has scouts excited and for that reason i think you could see if there's a player that people are going to trade up to try to grab i think he could be that player uh and definitely teams like him uh and and what he, the potential that he has as a difference making winger so he's someone that you absolutely need to keep an eye out for Another winger to look for is Tejon Buchanan, the Syracuse winger. Had a bit of an up-and-down combine. He didn't really light it up. Uh, at one point, I really saw him being a, a candidate to be the number one pick for FC Cincinnati. And, he, you know, there's an outside shot that that could happen, but I think his, his stock has slipped a bit, but that's going to work in the favor of a team that grabbed
grabs him because uh, what he showed at the combine is not what he can do. I think he's someone who anyone who was able to scout him at Syracuse will tell you uh, that he brings a lot to the table with his speed and his runs and, and his ability to just go at people. He's someone who... You know, he maybe he slips out of the top three, maybe he you know slips down to six, seven, eight. But whoever gets him, you're talking about a player with some serious upside. We're talking about a teenager who has been through a lot uh, to you know in his career. You know, going from Canada to moving to the U.S., uh, ending up at Syracuse. No one really recruited him. Uh, he's got that chip on his shoulder for from going through a lot, and I think he's someone who could surprise some people uh, who maybe have kind of looked at him now and said, you know what, maybe maybe the hype's not there. Maybe it's not. Maybe he's not what we thought he was. There's so many other prospects in the midfield uh, one thing I did want to touch on and it's an, it's an interesting kind of dilemma or, or development is the fact that two players that came into the, into the combine with a lot to prove uh, were Brad Dunwell from Wake Forest and Tommy McCabe from Notre Dame. Uh, two central midfielders, two kind of deep-lying midfielders who won't necessarily wow you with their moves and with their, with their you know, line-breaking passes, but they're two players who help kind of keep the ball moving and, can, and that can, you can plug in deep into your midfield and they will, they will be that connector between the defense and the attack. And I just don't, I just don't think a lot of uh, scouts were necessarily... Uh, impressed with what they saw from those two but these are two players who absolutely were excellent college players and now you wonder um are they slipping out of the first round right now i project both of them to slip out of the first round and i initially had both of them as mid first rounders but uh they just didn't do enough at the combine and 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 i think teams are looking looking upside they're looking at players who who, who have that high ceiling and when you look at Dunwell and McCabe, you can kind of see why teams look at them and, 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 and they don't necessarily get excited. Now, that doesn't mean these guys can't come in and be effective players in, in MLS. And that, I think, if anything, you're going to see some teams uh, get lucky and, and, and grab these guys in the later rounds, whether, whether it's I – don't, I don't see them slipping much further than the second round, but I think you could end up getting a gem in the second round if you take one of these players and put them into a system where they can showcase their qualities, their ability to circulate the ball and keep the ball moving – and provide outlets for for their teammates, and and I think both McCabe and Dunwell are underrated, and it and they're gonna. But I do think they're gonna have their opportunity to show what they can do. I know what you want. You want the strikers. You want to know who the goal scorers are in the MLS draft. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. There's no Kyle Laren in this draft. There's nobody I look at and I say that guy's gonna get you 15 goals this year. Having said that, there are some interesting forward prospects. You have you have Andre Shinashiki from Denver, uh, big-time goal scorer there. He, my understanding is the, he's the only player who to sign a senior contract so far uh, with MLS, uh, and I think he's someone who's going to uh, really have an opportunity to, to, to depending on what team he goes to, uh, re, he's someone who can make an impact on an attack in year one. Uh, the question is the international status. He's Brazilian, uh, so he does not, he count, he'll count, he'll have to take up an international roster spot, but I think, from my understanding, there are teams that, that are perfectly fine with that. I think he could be one of the first stri uh, strikers off the board. Santiago Patino, the Florida international forward, a real strong, powerful uh, target forward type. He's not 6'3", but he has that power. Uh, you know, I've heard everyone from Dom Dwyer to Alejandro Moreno uh, as the type of, of player that he can be, and he had a good combine. He was very active. He scored some goals, and he showed that he can be a handful for opposing defenses, so I think he's someone that I see going as a 
top 10 pick, and I think he could definitely go even higher than that. Uh, in terms of other forwards, I think Ryan Sirikowski, if you're a team looking for a target striker, you could do worse than him. I think he's did he did well for himself in terms of uh, showing what he can do in the combine. Uh, I think Nils Bruning from North Carolina, the German He's a player who, again, even though he's an international, I think a team can take a chance on him. I project him as a late first-rounder. I see Atlanta potentially take a chance, taking a chance on him. And Atlanta has shown they're willing to take a chance on Germans. They took one on Julian Gressel two years ago. They took one on Gordon Wild last year. Maybe they'll make it three for three with the Germans uh, in Atlanta. So we'll see. But he's someone who I thought impressed as well. And, uh, you know, there's some good forwards. There, there's some interesting forward prospects that you could have in the second round that could end up slipping out of the first round. Uh, um, uh, and getting back to the midfield, obviously there's so many midfielders in the competition uh, for draft spots, but a couple that I have to talk about. Sergio Rivas, who for my money, absolutely one of the most skilled midfielders in this draft. I think he's going to absolutely be a mid-first rounder, potentially even you know top 10 for, uh, for, for Rivas, who I thought showed well at the combine. And he already had a lot of fans in terms of scouts who think he's a good player, but I really think he showed his quality at the combine. Camden Riley, another player a versatile player you know the question will he play central midfield can he play center back he's got the size he's got the technical quality he had a he had a good day on the last day of the combine to kind of to remind scouts why you know before the combine he was so highly regarded so i think he's someone first round value first round quality um if you're a team with a first round pick or if you're a team with three of them like fc cincinnati I think that's it. I think we've covered quite a bit. I mean, I, I, obviously, I would like to have talked about more players. Obviously, someone like An, uh, An Anderson Asiedu from UCLA, uh, who was really one of the most impressive players at the Combine. Really the only player at the Combine who I looked at and said, that guy is a six. That guy is a defensive midfielder. He's a little pit bull. Uh, he, he's going to go get the ball. He's going to keep it moving. Uh, he's someone who really boosted his stock. The issue with him is, is he, he is an international player. But he is the type of player that teams will say you know what i don't care he's an international player i see something in him i actually project him going to portland uh, a team that has diego chara a player who asiedu was drawing comparisons to so portland's also a team that finds a way to get its players green cards so international roster spots are not an issue for the timbers i could see asiedu going to the timbers so uh but there, there's talent in this draft folks i will say this there's talent in this draft the question is, can you be the team that can grab one or two of those eight, nine, or ten players who, who are going to have careers, who are going to have MLS and beyond careers? Because I think that's what it's about. I, th I, think, I, I think it's about ten. I think you're going to get ten. Which ten? That's the question. I don't know who the ten are. I don't know who the ten players that are going to be in this draft that are going to definitely end up making it i think Callum montgomery's one uh frankie amaya has got some qualities but i think other than montgomery i think all the rest have question marks all the rest have things that could totally maybe sidetrack their careers but you also have players with upside you also have players that have qualities that make them intriguing to scouts as they try to decide what to do on draft day and clearly some teams are, are more are being more aggressive than others some teams aren't aren't even going to show up to the draft because they don't have picks anymore but i think it's going to be an exciting draft and interesting draft and uh i think there's going to be more talent 
out of this draft than out of last year's draft. So uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see, we'll see what happens in Chicago. It's going to be a chilly one, and I can tell you I'm already not looking forward to it. I love Chicago. I love going to Chicago. I just I don't know if I've ever been there in January, and I don't know if I ever want to go back in January. But listen, it is what it is. I'll try not to be outside too much, but I'll be at the draft. I'll be covering the draft, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Keep following all the action. Uh, you know, Read all my reports over at gold.com. Follow my updates on Twitter. I'll try to uh, provide as much wall-to-wall coverage of the draft as I can. It's what I do. I do it every year. Uh, so definitely look out for that. Uh, and that's all for now. And, and you know, this this was an interesting episode of the show. I, I had to try to squeeze it in as best I could. I recorded most of it in a car, uh, some of it even while driving. Oh, not driving, sorry. While in traffic, not waiting to drive. But uh, I wanted to get an episode out to give you guys a little bit of a taste of what to look for in the draft. And also to ca- catch you up, because obviously there's so much to talk about i know there were things i didn't get to that i i want to get to but we'll be back i'll be back with another episode next week uh early next week uh you know i'm i'm hoping i can do two episodes next week but we'll see uh but anything we missed this week i'll definitely touch on next week so make sure you keep listening and i'm going to try to keep this rolling as i said one of my new year's resolutions is to make the sbi show uh what it once was which was a place you could come to on a regular basis and count on for quality analysis and and, and just quality content so uh make sure you keep uh, keep listening and if you're listening definitely thank you for listening so uh that's all for now for me i'm out of squad this is the sbi show